You know, the one line in that song, Be, uh, in you I rest. I'd like to just practice that for a second. Just for a second, be still. And think about what it means that you find your rest in Christ. Lord, we come into this place to be in your presence, to find our rest in you. Lord, we've worked all week, and we've come into this place to worship you, but also to rest in you, to rest from our work, to rest from our worries, and to turn and focus our attention once more on you. And so, Father, we, we need help in this. <laughs> We're so preoccupied with stuff that we have trouble just focusing on you. But, but Lord, the worship team helps us. The music helps us. And, Lord, your spirit helps us. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that. And, Lord, as we look, open your word and find out what does it mean to rest in you, we ask, Lord, that you would come and apply your word to our hearts, that we would understand it better. That we would be able to not only apply it to our hearts, but to our actions, Lord. That we, we might out, live out what you've te- taught us. And so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me so I may, might speak your word with boldness and truth. And I pray that you would anoint all of us that we might receive it in power. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed, uh, whenever it says in the New Testament... And on the Sabbath day, Jesus, and he does this or that, what does it set you up for? It's, it's like a fight, right? Because every time it seems to mention that Jesus does something on the Sabbath day, there's this kickback from the Pharisees and the Jews, and they're like, what are you doing on the Sabbath day? You know, it just seems over and over. And so uh, this week I've been, I, I wanted to talk about the Sabbath encounters, and I was shocked to discover how many Sabbath encounters there were between Jesus and people who were sick. It just seemed like on the Sabbath, Jesus loved to heal the people, especially the people that were coming to the synagogue. And um, and so uh, I just realized that Jesus seems to be butting heads with the Pharisees on purpose. It's like he's looking for a fight on this particular subject. and he's so um, if, <clears throat> so just think of it even today the same controversy still causes Christians to butt heads you just bring up the fourth commandment and, and say it into a room of very opinionated Christians <laughs> you know Jesus the Bible says that you know we uh, need to, you know, there, there's a commandment to honor the Lord and keep his Sabbath holy. So how's that going in your life? And, and just see what happens. 
all the variety of opinions about the Sabbath day, whether we're supposed to keep it as Christians, or whether that's just for the Jewish community from long ago, or what in the world's going on. And so it's, it's really uh, a challenging question, even today. And it seemed like Jesus welcomed this challenge into his ministry and loved to discuss it and even argue about it. Um, and so... Um, <clears throat> So first of all, there's a lot of healings that Jesus did on the Sabbath day. So we're going to look at those first. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28, Jesus starts teaching in a synagogue. uh, And a demon-possessed guy starts shouting out, Hey, you're Jesus, the son of the living God! And Jesus says, Quiet! Get out of him! And the, the demon leaves right away. And everyone's like, Whoa! Did you see that? What kind of teaching is this with authority? He commands the demons to leave, and they're all just bewildered. Now, nobody, nobody challenges Jesus this time. This is the first healing on the Sabbath, and nobody was expecting it, and so nobody's got their guard up, and it's just kind of overlooked. And, and then actually, right afterwards, Jesus does the second healing on the Sabbath day because he goes over to Simon Peter's house, gets to the house, finds out Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and so he just grabs her hand, lifts her up, and hauls her out of bed, and uh, she starts waiting on them. She doesn't have a, a cool uh, or warm-up period or anything. She's just like, boom, right into ministry. On the Sabbath day, mind you, which is a bit shocking. And, uh, and Jesus, and, the, and that evening, uh, the after sunset, notice that it says that these are key words that we often miss. That evening af- after sunset. Why does it say that? Like, why didn't the people come right away after they saw the healing in the, in the in the synagogue, why didn't they just flock to Peter's house and break the door down and bring all their sick then? They waited till after after sundown. Now, this is before streetlights, okay? It's dark after sundown. So they'd need lamps. It's a whole lot more work to try to come somewhere in the dark than it is during the day. So why did they wait? Well, it's a subtle clue. They were waiting for the end of the Sabbath. Sabbath ends at sundown. And so the general feeling among the... It's not just the the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews that felt healing was to be done on six days of the week and not on Sabbath. It was the general populace that believed that, yeah, if you wanted to go to a doctor, you don't go to the doctor on the Sabbath day. And you don't go to a, a rabbi on the Sabbath day for healing. It was just the general gist. And so all these people came in the evening and were healed after sundown, so uh, when it wasn't Sabbath any longer. Um, so the next chapter, the disciples are walking through the, a grain field, picking bits of kernels of grain and eating it and munching on it. And, oh boy, this upset the Pharisees. Like, whoa, they're breaking the Sabbath, you know. And uh, we're going to get to this a little later. But then right after that, uh, in chapter 3, Jesus enters the synagogue and on the Sabbath again. And it says there was a guy there with a shriveled hand. It, it just seems like he happened to be there. Uh, I'm not so sure. When you read about this, it looks like he might have been planted. Somebody was setting up Jesus to trap him. And so it seems to me that it's more likely that he was brought there to see what Jesus is going to do. Uh, and the fair, because the, in the verse 2, I believe it is, yeah. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath day. Jesus is walking into a trap here. Uh, and they're waiting to see if Jesus was heal him on the Sabbath day. And what does Jesus do? He just walks right into it. He says, hey, you with the shriveled arm, come on up here and stand up here on the platform. You know, He's just like... They're all waiting to see what's going to happen. He doesn't do it in a corner. He just makes it front, front stage and center. You know, come on up here. And, uh, and, uh, and then he says to everybody there, what's lawful on the Sabbath day? Is it, is it to, to, to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to give life or to kill? Oh, what should we do? And they wouldn't say anything. They just stonewall Jesus. They're just like... You can just see the, the, the smoke burning in their eyes. Whoa, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, and Jesus gets mad. He's mad at their hard hearts. That they're setting up this poor man who's got this shriveled arm, and they're trying to make a, 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 an illustration out of him that he shouldn't be healed on Sabbath. Can you believe that? Don't come to church on Sunday, on a Sabbath day, I should say, we don't want to heal you then. Isn't healing a little more important than Sabbath keeping? Like it's in our minds, it's it's almost ridiculous. But in their minds, this is serious business. Don't forget the Jews have been deported and gone into slavery because they hadn't obeyed God properly, and so the Jews were very uptight about obeying God. And Sabbath breaking was a a. a capital offense punishable by death and so they they were pretty serious about it um and jesus just goes ahead and heals the guy he says stretch out your arm and he stretches it out and just keeps stretching and stretching out until it's fully healed it's just like everyone's just like what <laughs> and so it's pretty cool um but the pharisees start conspiring with the Herodians how they're going to kill Jesus. Can you imagine? You see someone's arm completely restored in front of you. Oh, we're going to kill the guy that did that. It's the hardness of hearts is unbelievable in some people. Um, So then the next next, uh, thing is found in John chapter 9, and I don't have it on the screen. Uh, Jesus goes along, he sees this guy blind from birth, and his disciples ask, you know, Rabbi, was this, was this guy, did this guy sin, or did his parents sin, is that why he was born blind? And Jesus is like, no, 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 there's nothing to do with this guy, it's so that God's glory might be revealed, that's why he was born blind. And, uh, and then Jesus spits on the ground, makes a little bit of mud, sticks it on the guy's eyes, and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, uh, which means scent. And the guy goes off, washes, and suddenly he can see. And he's pretty excited. And the people are gathering around. They're saying, dude, look at that guy. He, isn't that the blind guy? No, no, it must be just someone who looks like the blind guy because this guy clearly can see. And they're having this debate, you know. Uh, and then they asked him, hey, didn't you used to beg by the, by the gate there? Yeah, yeah, that was me. Weren't you blind before? Yeah, yeah, that was me. Weren't you blind from birth? Yeah, yeah, that was me. 
Well, how come you can see? Well, this guy put some spit on some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to wash, and now I can see. Can you believe it? And they're all going like, whoa, this is crazy. So they go off and tell the Pharisees, because this was on the Sabbath day that this happened. And the Pharisees are like, what? And they call the man in, and they 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 say, uh, you know, like, who, who healed you? And, and he, he explains it all over, you know, like, wow, you know, this guy came along, spit on the ground, put mud in my eyes, and told me to go wash, I washed, and now I can see. And, uh, and, and the Pharisees are like, really? This guy isn't, is this guy for real? They, they call the guy's parents in to confirm. Is this your son? Yeah. Was he born blind? Yeah. How, how can he see? Hey. Ask him. He's old enough to respond. You know? <laughs> and, and so they ask him again, how, how can you see? And the guy's like, dude, guys, I already explained it to you. Yeah, do you want to become his followers too? No, we don't want to become his followers. And they start cursing him and heaping abuse on him. And they're just really upset with this poor guy who's just been healed. And, uh, and they, they say to him, this man, he's a sinner. And the blind man responds and he says, I don't know if he was a sinner or not, but this thing I know, I was blind and now I see. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the Pharisees keep pushing him and finally he says, you know, guys, uh, we, we know that God only hears righteous people. No one's ever heard from the beginning of time, ever, that someone born blind has been healed. If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. I mean, here, Jesus is not defending himself. This, this blind guy is defending Jesus. He's, he's just saying, uh, look at the miracle itself, guys. It's pretty obvious that he's a godly man. Nobody could do this. No one's ever heard of anybody doing this. Uh, so obviously he's from God. And, and later on, Jesus meets him, and they get in the conversation. He puts his faith in Christ. And then Jesus says, I've come to open the eyes of the blind and to close the eyes of those who can see. And the Pharisees, they pick this up. And they're like, what do you mean? You mean we're blind? And Jesus says, you're not guilty because you're blind. You're guilty because you think you can see. <laughs> I mean, it's just like... Boom, right? <laughs> I love Jesus sometimes. He's just so straightforward. <laughs> oh, boy. So on another Sabbath, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And a woman who's been crippled by an unclean spirit for 18 years is there. And it's the same thing, you know. Uh, when Jesus sees her, he calls her forward. Come on up here. Ma'am, come on up here. I see you're bent over. Come on up here. And uh, she was all bent out of shape. And Jesus said to her, Woman, you're free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. Well, now someone else gets bent out of shape. <laughs> it's the Pharisees. The, the synagogue leader, leader, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, Six days are for work. <laughs> So come on, be healed on those days, not the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him. I love this response. You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey and lead it out of the stall? 
to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan has kept bound for 18 year long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from that which bound her? And when he said this, his opponents were ashamed, and they couldn't say anything. Well, another time, Jesus goes into a Pharisee's house, and in this Pharisee's house, there's this guy who has some bloating. And, uh, and Jesus, and, and they put this poor guy in there, and, and they're watching. The same thing. They're trying to trap him again. And Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent. This is just classic, you know, just stonewalling Jesus again. <laughs> and taking hold of a man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And Jesus responds to their stonewalled stares with this. If one of you has a child or ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull him out? They got it right away. They didn't say anything. <laughs> well, final story. Jesus is over by the well of, uh, or by this pool of Bethsaida, and he he sees a bunch of people that are sick there laying around, and he sees this lame guy, and he says to him, "Hey, do you want to get well?" And the lame guy says. Ah, yeah, I'd like to, but when the water is stirred, uh, I can't, you know, everybody goes charging in there, and I don't have anyone to carry me down, and so I, I can't get in on time, so I, I can't get healing. And Jesus says to him, hey, dude, just pick up your mat and walk. Okay, he gets up. He's healed immediately. <laughs> and so, uh, and then it says, and the day that it was the Sabbath day. <laughs> Uh-oh, remember what happens on the Sabbath day with Jesus, right? And so, uh, so he picks up his mat and he's walking down the street with his mat, right? Uh-oh, that's a no-no on the Sabbath day. You can't carry anything on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees say, hey, dude, what are you doing? Why are you carrying the mat, your mat? And he says, hey, I was healed. Look, I can walk. And the guy who healed me, he said, pick up your mat and walk. So here I am picking up my mat and walking. And they're like, hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath day. And they're frustrated, right? Uh, and and, and they, they, they said, who is this fellow that told you to, to, to pick up your mat and walk? They aren't like, wow, you were healed from being lame for, for, for a long time? They're like, who told you you could carry your mat? <laughs> oh, it reminds me of myself, right? We just focus on what people shouldn't do. and oh, it's, it's sad. If, if you ever had kids, watch out for that. That condemning thing that wants to grab you and make you condemn them all the time. It's not healthy to condemn people all the time. Yes, we need to correct our children, set them straight sometimes. But let's rejoice with them when they rejoice. And when the good happens, let's definitely rejoice with them. So anyways, um, the Jews find out. They start persecuting Jesus. They start planning his death. And when they get to Jesus, Jesus says some very weird things. He says, guys, my Father in heaven, he's always at work. And I watch what he's doing, and then I join him in the work. So Jesus is calling healing work here. And he's saying, yeah, I do the work of my father on the Sabbath day. 
because God is working. You know, he, he, he doesn't stop working like he rested on the, the first Sabbath, right? And Jesus says, but he hasn't stopped working since then. He's, up, he's upholding the, the world by his power of his might, by the power of his word. And so he's still working. And, and I see what he's doing. And I saw that this man had faith. He did, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating what was said, but I think he, he's meant, he, he saw that his father was moving this guy with faith. And so he healed that guy on the Sabbath day. Now, isn't it interesting in all these events, and in fact, if you look at every healing of Jesus, he always uses a different method, sometimes spitting on the ground, sometimes making uh, you know, mud, and sometimes spitting right in their eyes, sometimes putting a, a spittle on their tongue, sometimes, I don't know what's with spit, but anyways, <laughs> sometimes just touching the woman, sometimes grabbing their hand, lifting them up, all these different methods. You know, sometimes we get, we get so concerned about the method. It's not about the method, folks. It's about the power of God being displayed, and he certainly displayed it. So why is Jesus pushing the Sabbath issue all the time? Like, what, why does it almost look like he's, he's looking for the fight? What's with that? Was Jesus just disobeying the Sabbath day and saying, ah, it's irrelevant? Not at all. Jesus was always obeying the Sabbath, actually. Uh, he, what he wasn't obeying was all the little rules that, that the, the Sanhedrin had put around the Sabbath, to, to all the nitpicky things. And, and, and Jesus' response was, you know, you know, guys, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for this. We weren't made so we could follow rules. God's not didn't design us as rule followers. I can attest to that. I am not a rule follower. I hate rules. <laughs> but <laughs> I think some of that's my sinful nature. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we're not designed as rule followers. But the Sabbath was made for us, nevertheless. It's to give us a rest so we don't work all the time. This was a change from the, the, the slavery in Egypt. Now we, we've been set free from that. And so that's why Jesus uh, wanted to break. What, what he was really not obeying was the, the, the silly rules that were placed around the, the Bible. So let's just quickly review the arguments that Jesus has used so far. He said... Which is lawful, to do good or to do evil, save life or, or kill? Do we have these slides? Yeah, there we do. Um, and then with the man born blind from birth, uh, you know, he's just, he's, he, he tells them basically, like, this is remarkable. You guys don't know where Jesus is from. No one's ever heard of the man being born blind, right? And uh, so basically he's saying the miracle itself speaks for itself. You can heal people on the Sabbath. Because God wouldn't heal people on the Sabbath if God didn't want to, right? It's pretty obvious. Uh, and then the whole untying the donkey, let the drink, untying someone who's bound by Satan. Uh, and then the rescue of someone who falls in a hole. Uh, how much more do we not rescue people on the Sabbath? Uh, and then, then the whole idea that, hey, God is always at work, uh, so I'm working too. Uh, and then the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
Uh, and then uh, there's one more reason that John brings up in chapter 7 of John. Uh, and basically that the priest did circumcision on the Sabbath day if it was the eighth day of the child's life. Because there was another law in the Old Testament that says the child needs to be circumcised on the eighth day. And so in John uh, chapter 7 verse 23, now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses might not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? I love Christ's arguments. They're, they're just great. Um, so seven reasons why it's fine to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus didn't leave it there. If you go, and I, I encourage you to do this, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to find five more reasons. Uh, five? No, even more. No, five. Five more reasons why Jesus challenges the Sabbath. Um, so, uh, in this passage, in, in Matthew chapter 12, it, it follows a very profound and very much on the subject passage uh, about the Sabbath. In chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus calls out to everybody, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what is that all about? That's about resting in Christ, right? And then immediately after that, we, like there's a chapter break there, but in, in Matthew's original, there's no chapter break. Immediately it goes into Jesus' disciples picking the, the corn kernels as they're walking through the fields. And Jesus, you know, the, the Pharisees challenged Jesus, hey, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They're harvesting on the Sabbath. And, you know, to me, it's like, Oh, you can hardly call that harvesting. Now, now you could call this stealing. <laughs> They're just taking produce from a field they're walking through. But, you know, harvesting? I don't think so. I mean, my, my parents would always get after me because I would like to go to the cornfields of my neighbors and take the corn and take it home and cook it. And my parents were like, what are you doing? That's stealing. When we go by the peach orchards in, in, in Peachland in, in the Okanagan, and there would be these beautiful peach. If you've ever had a peach right off the tree, oh my goodness. Very tempting. But I was, con I was convicted that this was stealing, actually. And so I stopped doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, you know, I, I would say if you're going to challenge these guys, it's for that. But, but Jesus doesn't go there. He, he defends his disciples. Not the way you would think he would defend them. He doesn't say, oh, come on, guys. It's just a few kernels of grain they're munching on. Hardly breaking, hardly harvesting. He doesn't say that. And what does he say? He says, well, haven't you read in the, in, in the law that David, when his men were hungry, he went to the temple and he got the showbread that's only for the priests, Aaron's sons, that's it. And he, he ate it and gave it to his men. Now, was Jesus approving of what David did? I actually don't think so. <laughs> but David was highly esteemed hero 
for the Pharisees. And they thought David did everything right. And so they had nothing to say. They're just like, uh, yeah, that's true, but uh, we don't know why he got away with that. And he's never reprimanded for doing that. Uh, and, and, and I look at that, and I kind of go like, you know, I've heard this before. I've heard this argument before. I've heard it in the mouths of my children. You know what they say? Well, everybody else is doing it. Isn't that the same argument Jesus is using here? He's saying, well, David did it, so why can't I do it? Right? I'm just like, oh, this is not a very, I don't like this argument of Jesus. But, but that's the one he uses, you know? But I think he's using it for a reason. And I think the reason is he's pointing to this fact that he is coming to change the way the laws are observed from the Old Testament. He's coming to make a big change. He's coming with the new covenant. And so you start to see it in this passage. Um, and then, uh, and then he, verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath day in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are innocent? Desecrate the Sabbath? That's strong language. Jesus is saying they work, and so they're defiling the Sabbath. Nobody has any problem with that, you know? Uh, and of course we don't, because they're told that they need to do these things, and they work on the Sabbath, they make the sacrifices, they, they, the uh, Levites lead worship, they do all that stuff on Sabbath day. Um, and then Jesus starts to break some new ground. He's just been giving you know, logical arguments so far. But then he starts breaking new ground. He says, he says this, I tell you that something greater then the temple is here. Now, I wonder if the Jews were looking around like, greater than the temple? What is that? Um, we all know that he was referring to himself, right? He's starting to make his messianic claims right here in, in this area of the Sabbath. And he's starting to say, guys, things are going to change. Things are changing from this point on. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Now this is a whole different argument. <laughs> this is not trying to go to the Old Testament. This is just saying, hey, you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I'm greater than the temple. And, and then he goes back to, to his other arguments and he kind of summarizes all the arguments that he's been giving so far. And he quotes Hosea 6 for 6 to do so. He says, if you knew what it means that I desire mercy rather than sacrifice, you would have no problems with me healing on the Sabbath. What is Jesus pointing out? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's pointing out that to God, there are things that are more important than the ritualistic observance of the ritual laws. What's more important? Giving mercy to people. Being gracious. Healing people. That was his whole point. All of these are, if you can see this, this quote in all of his other arguments, really. It's, they're all about mercy. Even David uh, eating the showbread. It was a merciful act. They were hungry. They were being chased. They were running for their lives. They needed something to eat. Um, and finally, 
Jesus lays it totally on the line. Reason number 12. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, we know he's the Lord of everything, but what does it mean that he's the Lord of the Sabbath? Does it mean, oh, we don't have to obey the Sabbath anymore? Not necessarily. Just because he's the Lord of it doesn't mean that it just disappears. What does it mean? Well, I'd like, I think we're going to discover that in the Oh my goodness, my time is almost gone. i got to rush. Uh, but between this verse 6 where he's claiming to be greater than the temple and this verse where he basically implies that he's greater, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's greater than the Sabbath as well. These are messianic, these are divine claims. And, uh, and this is actually the context where the man with the shriveled hand, uh, it, it's the next story that follows in Matthew. Uh, Jesus is making a pretty thinly veiled claim to deity here. Uh, he's opening the door to this idea of the new covenant in Christ where the Sabbath has found its fulfillment actually in Jesus Christ, not in us not resting on, the, on that day. The fulfillment is actually in Jesus Christ. He observed that law perfectly, and when he died for our sins... That fulfillment was actually directly in him. Um, now it doesn't. Then, so a quick review: uh, David broke the law, so why can't I? Priest break the Sabbath, why can't I? I'm greater than the temple. Mercy more important than Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, so, but the verses just before this. Remember, Jesus says just before this whole chunk in Matthew 12, Jesus says, "I will give you rest." Come to me, you who are weary and, la and, and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What is going on here? I think Jesus is starting to usher in the new covenant right here in these passages. Um, so Paul picks up on this subject later on in his writings to the churches. We don't see much more of it said about the Sabbath before the death and resurrection of Christ. But after Christ resurrects, we, Paul, in his divinely inspired gospel, starts to spell out what does it mean that Christ is Lord over the Sabbath. And in Colossians 2, uh, he points out that uh, you know, God makes us alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, nailing it to the cross. And then he goes on. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Oh, I guess we don't have this on. <laughs> Did it shut down? Yeah, okay, sorry. Uh, no more slides, I guess. Uh, I'll just read it. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Whoa. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Whoa. What is he saying here? He's saying before there was a shadowy thing. There was rest there was these festivals. There were these new moon festivals. There were these times when we'd celebrate. But all that celebrating is found in Christ. 
The Sabbath day, it's found in Christ. There's something new on the block. This is a whole new way of understanding the Sabbath. The reality is in Christ, not in resting for a day a week. Uh, it's remarkable. <clears throat> Observing the Sabbath is no longer a matter of obedience or disobedience. It's not about that. And Paul doesn't say, oh, don't stop observing the Sabbath. He just says, hey, it's not about obedience. It's not about whether you religiously obey this command any longer. It's about your heart attitude. It's a whole different thing. Uh, he says in Romans 14, let no one pass judgment on you. One person esteems one day better than another, and another esteems all days alike. Each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. He's talked about the Sabbath day, right, in this passage. And he's, he's, re, he's referring to that. And he's basically saying, you, you just each need to be convinced. And there's those people who, you know, religiously take Sunday and just spend time with the Lord. There's other people who are like, oh, no, Saturday is the Sabbath. And they're, they're religiously just spending time with the Lord on Saturday. Uh, and, and then there's these other people are just like, oh, well, you know, all days are the same. And they're fully convinced that the Bible just gives them complete freedom to, to treat all days the same. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't find rest. Because where is our rest? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, everyone should be fully convinced. So the author of Hebrews picks up the subject a bit more. And uh, he says, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 verse 9. So he's talking about something that's in the future. There's this rest that's coming. And it's, it's going to come. Uh, the ultimate Sabbath rest is com coming. So in the past, there was this indication resting once a week. In the present age, there's this sense that we find our rest in Christ. And we're going to talk about that a bit more. Uh, but there's also an ultimate rest coming where we will enjoy work without the toil. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> uh, we will have hearts that have no sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And there will be a, a creation, a new creation, and a newer heavens and a new earth where there will be no more weeds. In other words, there will be no pushback against our work. Right? It's going to be awesome. Uh, and... But even now, Hebrews implies that we can enter into that already. The Hebrews says, we have already tasted the powers of the age to come. Amen? We, we already are involved in this. We already have Christ's sinless power in our lives. We already have this sense of rest in Christ, uh, no matter what's happening. And then he says, we who have believed enter that rest. What rest? The rest of the coming age. We and enter it, will enter it? No. What does it say? We enter it, present tense. We're already participating in that future rest period. How do we do that? In Christ. Amen. You're starting to get this. All right. Uh, and, and notice it's we who believed enter that rest. It's a faith statement to enter the rest of Christ. We believe that, that he, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and that we will find rest for his souls. I will give you rest. 
we believe that by faith, and we accept that. Um, now, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is going back in chapter 5 of Matthew. He goes back into the Old Testament, drags out some Old Testament law, you know, thou shalt not uh, kill or, or thou shalt not have adult, commit adultery or something like that. And then he, he says, but I say unto you, and he makes it harder. He says, even if you look at a woman, it's like adultery. Even if you are angry with someone, it's like you're murdering them. And you're like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> that makes it pretty hard to not break the commands. I believe it's the same thing with the Sabbath day, rest. It's not that Jesus says, you know, oh, you don't need to rest anymore. No, I think he's saying, you need to rest in me every day, all the time. That's the rest that we enter into. It's just a resting in Christ. It's a re just a refreshment in him. Is it, is it healthy to, to keep the, the seven-day principle? Absolutely. You know, God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Why wouldn't we rest? If God does it, why wouldn't we? Uh, there's this principle all through the Bible about rest, having this, this rhythm of rest. So I'm not saying don't rest, you know, the Sabbath is ridiculous. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus never said that at all. And the early Christians, they definitely rested on the Sabbath day. It's very obvious. Um, and so it's a great pattern. But it's not a rule. It's a lot like tithing. I often say, you know, oh yeah, there's the tithing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says, well, give everything you have to the kingdom. Oh, can we go back to tithing? You know? And some of us want to go back to the, well, I just want to rest one day. I don't want to spend every day in communion with Christ. I don't want, Jesus said, abide in me, right? That's hard, abiding in him. But that's where you find your rest, abiding in him every day. Um, okay. I think you get the point. Right? <laughs> our rest will be restless and our work will become desperate attempt to secure our, for ourselves a rest that we have not found in Christ if we try to do this on our own. It's only found in Christ. You know, the devil wants us to, uh, to have us work even while we rest. Right? That's why we have cell phones so that people can bother us when we're on our time off. That's why we have email so after dinner we can go check our emails. See who's... It's like it never stops. And the devil's just right in there. Like, yeah, yeah, work, 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 work. And, and, and don't take a rest. And Jesus is like... He says, no. While you're working, rest. Rest in me. Give it all to me. And just relax while you work. You don't stress about it. Just relax. We'll get it done together. My yoke is easy. He's saying, I'm yoked with you. It's easy. My burden, it's light. Don't stress. This is a faith statement. So how does this work out in a practical life? Well, let me tell you about this week. My week started with me trying to finish the foundation of the garage at the cottage because winter's coming, and I didn't want the water to get into the bricks and crack them. So I needed to finish it. So I went to Rona, and I loaded up my truck, as much weight as it could carry in, in cement bags. And then I loaded up my trailer a little beyond what my trailer could handle. 40 bags of concrete, 30, 30 kilograms each, that's 66 pounds each. 
there was like a ton and a half of concrete in my trailer and truck. I take it to the cottage. I hurt my back loading it into the truck. And I spent all day mixing it in my little mixer and then lifting it up to the top of the wall in a pail. You know how heavy concrete is? Anyways, and then I fixed the chimney and then I, and then I had to get it cleaned up and ready for the, the next group from the church coming to use it. And, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, on... on uh, then I had to, to lead the Bible study on Wednesday, and then we had our seniors meeting on, on Thursday, and that was great, and it was a lot of fun, but I had to lead it. And then there was the, the, um, the Refugee Sponsorship Committee, and I had to do all kinds of counseling in between and other stuff, uh, planning, organization. And, and, and then I knew the big weekend with the quizzers coming up, and Jennifer was, was in charge of that, and she's swamped, and she's way out overloaded. And so there's a whole group of young people coming to stay at our house, and, you know, our house hasn't really been cleaned since the boys left in some areas. And, uh, you know, areas that these people are now going to sleep in. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 we got to get this clean. So I spend, you know, like tons of time cleaning on Friday. And then, oh, yeah, we got to set up the church. So got to go to the church. So go to the church. Oh, but the guys are coming to our home. So uh, six guys coming, Jennifer alone by herself. Okay, I better go home. Uh, you know, spend some time with them. And then 11 o'clock, go back to the church. And keep setting up, you know. And then in the morning, come back to the church and enjoy the whole time. And then afterwards, you know, spend till midnight last night cleaning up the church and uh, whew, prepare a sermon somewhere in there and deliver it this morning. Busy week. But you know what? I had a great week. On Friday, at the, at the uh, uh, meeting that I was at, one of the ladies says, you know, like, Pastor, you sound like you run off your feet. You, you know, you're so busy all the time. Like, how, you know, how do you have time for it? And my immediate thought, and I hadn't started working on my sermon yet, okay? But my immediate thought was, yeah, but I'm part of Christ. And he says, my burden is easy and my load is, and my yoke is light. And honestly, I'm loving this week. I'm having a great time. Uh, and I, I don't feel the stress of it at all. I don't. I really don't. And that's what I said to those ladies. And then I started working my sermon. And I was like, yeah, this kind of fits in. I'm going to say this. <laughs> so there you go. That's how you live it out practically. 